Yeah, time's short, so I'll try and be really quick today. Uh, I knew it was going to be shorter, so I prepared shorter anyway. I just wanted to show you this, though. This on the bottom is a journal that my wife and I got for the, the chief, all right, and uh, Chief Amanda. And we began praying for her as soon as we heard she was not, uh, elected as the new chief, and her name was Amanda. How could we not pray for Amanda, right? I mean, come on. So uh, we, we, we got her this journal on the bottom, and when she looked at it, she was so excited, she got her cell phone out, and she started flipping through her pictures, and it says, there is beauty and simplicity on it. And then she showed me that picture that she took on March 28th when she was in a store, and she saw that same phrase, and she said, God spoke to her that this was for her life. And she showed it to me, and I took a picture because it was even written in the same font on both of them. There is beauty in simplicity. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. And she was just like, wow. She could not believe. She, she's like, look, I just took this picture. So, uh, you know, even in, the, in, even in the simple things, God is communicating his love for his people. Amen? So she was just like, that is amazing. She couldn't, couldn't get over that. So uh, uh, she even, uh, I said to her, I'm, I'm one of those kind of push-the-envelope people. So I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I saw her phone number up on the whiteboard for the, the rest of it. I said, would you mind if, if we got your cell phone number so we could phone you and encourage you once in a while? She said, oh, that would be awesome. And I was like, see, have not because you ask not, right? So there you go. So uh, have her cell phone number so we can keep in touch with her as well. And it was just an awesome time. Praise the Lord. I will. I'll send that to you. Really short review, one slide this morning. Uh, remember we've been talking about the, the two narratives of the biblical story and, and two ways of looking at it in Christianity and how you know, we need to really start from Genesis chapter 1, which is God created it all and said it's good, rather than Genesis chapter 3, which focuses on the, the fall, right? And, in it, and it's not that Genesis chapter 3 isn't important or the dealing with sin isn't important. It's just that it, we have to see Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection as more than just reversing the curse. It's, it's about restoring us to what God's original intent was in Genesis chapter 1. So then I put this quote up a couple weeks ago. It just said, living by grace is difficult when you approach grace from only the second narrative. When, you under, when your understanding of grace is limited to seeing it as the force of God, which sent his son to reverse the curse of sin and provide a means of escape from death and damnation, it's difficult to live life as God fully intended you to live. You know, he wants us to see our salvation as more than just escaping hell. It is about redeeming us with purpose, Right? It's about making us a hope, making us a hope, making us a, 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 a weapon in the hands of God, making us his hands, his feet, his uh, arms extended to the world. Amen? That's what it's about. God's redeeming us with purpose. And uh, otherwise, why not just snatch us and take us to heaven as soon as we confess Christ? It might make a lot of people do some double takes when all of a sudden these people just disappear. But he leaves us here with purpose because he has plans for us. He's redeemed us to reestablish uh, his kingdom and his kingdom authority, as Jesus even prayed in the famous Lord's Prayer. On earth, as it is where? Yeah. Right, that's what he wants to establish. Praise the Lord. Now, okay, so today, I've entitled today's message, uh, I Object. Because when Paul began to teach about God's grace in Romans, if you read through the letter of Romans, it's, it's a really well-written letter. And it's written with... Um, uh, what they call a, uh, a uh, literary style. And his literary style is that he brings up and anticipates the objections people will have to his teaching. 
and then he forms them in a form of a question, and then he answers his own question, right? Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? And he does it repeatedly, like a dozen or more times in the book of Romans, right? And, and he's anticipating that people, that, that, you know, because the first converts were mostly Jewish, that there was going to be a lot of difficulty with what Paul was teaching. Because now Paul was saying that salvation is by God's grace alone. It is a free gift of God given to us, and it's not through keeping the law. Whereas the Jewish leaders were always preaching law, 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 right? And they added laws on laws, and they made it so difficult for people to be able to achieve anything where, where they would even feel remotely close to God. Now, all of a sudden, Paul is teaching that the law has been fulfilled by this person of Jesus Christ, and now we come to God by grace and not by the law. Uh, we come by his completion of the law. Does everybody understand that? And so Paul is anticipating there's going to be a lot of questions about this. And so he's used a literary style in the book of Romans where he, he takes those objections and anticipates what they would be, formulates them in a question, and then answers them. Does that, everybody understand what I'm talking about? And so he does that through it. And... Uh, so uh, that's why I entitled the message, I Object, because Paul's dealing with objections that people are going to have to the gospel message. Um, and I only have two points this morning. The first one is that Paul wants to establish uh, that um, grace is powerful, but it's also vulnerable. Everybody say vulnerable. And uh, I ended a couple weeks ago with this statement. I said, God's grace is not just that aspect of his nature which enables backslidden men to repent and once again to be able to stand before him as sons. Grace is that power by which, no matter what we do, we never ceased to be a son in the first place. Now think about that. This statement gives people, especially the more, the more religious you are, the more it bothers you. Because it gives you the heebie-jeebies. It, it makes you uncomfortable, you know. That's just going to produce a bunch of Christians walking around doing whatever they want and thinking they're still saved. That is a possibility. That is a possibility. But the prodigal son's story teaches us that this is true. Because, uh, remember I shared the, the question, at what point did the prodigal son cease to be the father's son? At what point in his sin and his running from his dad and squandering his inheritance, at what point in that story did he stop being the, the father's son? We all know the answer. He didn't. And that's why dad was looking for him to come over the horizon every day. And when he saw him, he lifted up his robe and he ran in such an undignified manner out to, to probably protect his son from all the religious people that would want to stone him for the dishonor he'd brought into the family. And he threw his cloak on his back and his ring on his finger and, and he welcomed him back and he said, my son is returned. He wasn't saying my son is a son again. He never stopped being his son. He said, my son has returned. <laughs> Are you hearing me this morning? My son has returned. Now this, this is what brings about the point that uh, no matter what we do, we never cease to be his son. And this is troublesome for people. You're saying no matter what I do, no matter what I do, I could go out and do this, I could go out and do that, and he'd still call me his son. Yes. And I can feel people getting nervous already. And, and you know, it's not, it's not rocket science, you know. If my, if my boys 
right? Or my daughter, although my daughter would never do anything wrong, so I don't even need to include her in this story. But if my boys went out and did something really stupid, right? Uh, you know, um, like, like I remember Ryan one time, right? He's, he's got our, our Jeep Grand Cherokee. We had the most beautiful Jeep Grand Cherokee. I'm telling you, it was awesome. And it was a gift. Someone had given it to us. Blew our minds when this was given to us. It had like a Bose Infinity system in it. It had, it had leather everything and, you know, seat warmers, the whole bit. It was just beautiful. And Ryan's borrowing it. And he's going out to see Greg out at the shepherd's house, you know. And so, yeah, he was. He was heading out onto Phillipson Side Road. They were going out there. Uh, so that's where he was heading. And he drove up. He drove up the highway. And they turn on to Phillipson Side Road. And they're going up into there. And, uh, and you know, when you turn off, Ted, and, you're going, and, and it goes, you go left and then onto it, and that goes around really right, really fast. And Ryan, it was rain, pouring rain, and he, he was kind of, he admitted later, he was kind of like, you know, you know, trying to be cool. Uh, and so he pulls off the road, and then he goes a little too wide in the first one, and he tries to overcorrect, and he ends up going down the ditch, doesn't have it in four-wheel drive, and so it's sliding further and further and further down the ditch, and then pff, it goes over upside down, right? Crunch. Windows pop out and everything else. Water starts rushing into the vehicle. And he's panicking, trying to undo the seatbelts, thinking, we're going to drown, we're going to drown. And, uh, and then he undoes the seatbelt, and the water's only this deep. Right? So <laughs> the panic might have been a little bit overrated. But uh, anyway, so he calls us and says, you know, you know I, I, I had an accident. And we said, are you okay? Yeah. All right. Now, did I go, that's it. I disown you. You're not my son anymore. Right? No, we went out, put our arm around him, and said, you're all right? It's okay, it's just a car. It's a really nice car, but it's just a car, you know? I might have choked back a few tears there, you know? Uh, yeah. But you know what I mean? Does the, you know, that's, that's one of those things. That how many parents have experienced your kids writing off a car? I know you guys have, Wayne. <laughs> you know, sure, right? You guys know what it's like. Do, do they ever cease to be your, your children? No! they do yeah <laughs> Wayne's like well, after the third time Wayne says we had to have a family discussion yes it was <laughs> it was on the table do you know what I mean the, but but these things happen in life right and our kids often don't uh, live out some of the things that we hope for and want for them or, or maybe they even run away from their faith but they never stop being your boy or your girl do they in fact I would say there's absolutely nothing that your child could do that you would you, that you would say you're not mine are you hearing me this, this, is there any secret why God uses the family metaphor all the time in Scripture? Is there any secret why he calls himself father more than any other term? He doesn't position himself so far from us that we can't relate to him. He wants us to relate to him as family members, as sons and daughters. And, and here's the thing. Because he's a father... He's the most powerful being in the world, but he's also the most vulnerable. And that's what this truth drives home for us this morning. This truth exposes both the power and the vulnerability of God's love and God's grace. It's powerful because it is able to keep us no matter what we've done. It's able to keep us and, to, and, be, and be lavished on us, no matter how, whether we're having a terrible week or whether we've, we've, we've sinned and whether we've, we've done terrible things, God still loves us. His power and his grace is still released to us and keeping us. It's powerful, but it's also incredibly vulnerable because we have this ability to hurt God's heart like nothing else in creation. 
Because you know what it's like as a parent. Nobody can rip your heart out and stomp on it harder than a kid can. You know, when a child looks at you and says, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Your heart is so vulnerable because you love so much and you'd lay your life down for that child. And they're calling you out and calling you down and yelling and screaming at you and your heart is broken. The vulnerability of it is terrible. But you never stop loving and you never stop treating them as your son or your daughter. But that's the nature of God's grace. It must be at the same time the most powerful force and the most vulnerable force in the world or it's not grace at all. You understand what I'm saying? Our love for our kids is, is what makes us parents. And it's, it's powerful. It's so incredibly powerful. And nothing can break it. But it's amazingly vulnerable. Just like God's love for us. Just like God's love for us. Love can be abused. Love can be taken advantage of. Yes, love can be rejected and scorned, but it can never be retracted. Can I reject God's love? You know, because the whole debate, well, are you saying once saved, always saved, a person can't backslide? I'm not even going to go there. That's like theological arguments that people have been having for centuries. And to me, it's pointless. It's just a bunch of people with big heads talking. Let's put it down to where it matters. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And even in your darkest moment, he's still weeping over you and crying over you and longing for you. And at any moment, you can say, God, I'm sorry, take me back. Bam! He's there waiting for you. That's what, the, you know, put all the theology aside. That's what matters, isn't it? That's the truth of God's love. That's the truth of God's love. And I understand that such a communication of God's grace causes this concern for deep, uh, deep concern for believers. And some feel the need to have to defend God. And I get that. And many people have written books in the last few years uh, on cheap grace, right? Ripping into the message of grace because people have cheapened it. And, you know, and that seems to be the major topic. But I see, in my opinion... There's no such worry that we have to have. We don't have to, to defend God because he could get taken advantage of. He knew what the stakes were when he sent his son to die on the cross. And when he made it about his work, when he took it all on his shoulders, he understood how difficult this road would be for his son and how, how easily taken advantage of his grace would be. He understood that. God can be taken for granted, it's true. And his grace can be cheapened by followers who accept his precious sacrifice and then live like the rest of the world as if nothing ever happened. Unaffected by grace. And that's not surprising. That's human's fallen nature. Winston Churchill understood it well. He said this. He said, men occasionally stumble over truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. <laughs> right? That's... That's our sinful human nature, right? We have a tendency to take one another for granted. We do it in marriage relationships all the time. We do it with our children, and our children do it with their parents, and we do it with our friends. We take them for granted. We, we often don't invest in it like we need to. And that happens in our relationship with God. We take it for granted. We don't invest in it as we need to. But guess what? It does not change God's affection for us. It doesn't 
change our status. We don't go from loved to unloved, from in to out, blah, blah, blah. No, it doesn't do that. It may make us less effective, and that's a whole other topic, right? We're not, but we're not talking about effectiveness today. We're talking about the affection of God today, right? And, and that does not change. Whether we're effective or not, yeah, that changes. If you're, if you're never investing in the relationship with God, you're probably not going to be very effective here. But it doesn't mean you're cast out because of it, right? It just means you need to grow up. You need to stop being a child. Like Paul said, you know, when I became a man, and I think he's not just talking about physical things, physically becoming a man. He's talking about a spiritual journey. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me, right? And spiritually, we need to do the same thing. We need to grow up. All right. Where to go in so little time. Maybe I'll just do the one point today, and uh, I'll stop there. It's important for us to understand that grace, God's unmerited, undeserved favor, by very definition, is exceedingly vulnerable. Just by the nature of that love, it is open to exploitation. If it were not so, it would cease to be grace. And we have to understand this. It would no longer be something that's given to us purely on the work of God. It would be something given to us on our merits, on what we've done, or on what we continue to do. And it's not. I've had pastors even tell me, you're, you're saved by grace, but you're kept by works. No, you're not. Your relationship with Jesus is not maintained by how good you are. Because if it were, then Jesus died for nothing. All you had to do in the first place is just be a good person. And that's the false gospel that's preached all the time. Oh, well, you think you're going to heaven? Yeah, why? Well, because I'm basically a good person. If that's all it takes, just being good, then why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, to be an example. Really, I think he could have demonstrated sacrifice and... And, and compassion and love without hanging on a Roman cross and being stripped naked and whipped and tortured and beaten. I think there's easier ways to demonstrate, you know, show people a better way to live, right? No, it was, it was paying the price for, he was a substitutionary sacrificial lamb. And, and some of the metaphor we don't understand because we don't live in a culture that was rooted in sacrifice. We don't live in a culture where we understood what a lamb's purpose was when it was laid upon the altar. And we don't understand blood sacrifice and blood substitution. But the people of the Jewish tradition understood. And when they finally got the gospel, they knew that Jesus was the, 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 the person that every sacrificial lamb for thousands of years was pointing to. That he was the lamb, the lamb of God. And that now it was complete. Jesus had paid the price. You understand me this morning? Praise the Lord. Let me just conclude with this truth today that I've already said. God, God's grace is powerful. Amen. But in order for it to be grace, it must also be vulnerable. I believe 
that it's possible to live in his vulnerability and it's possible to experience his grace and to do so and live free from sin. I, I believe that. Or at least to sin very little, right? I don't think there should be too many of us walking around going, well, I haven't sinned today. What about you? Because as soon as you say that, you're not doing it by living in the vulnerability of his love. You're doing it because you think you are pretty good. As Barry would say, you think you're all that in a bag of chips. Right? But the truth of the matter is, it's always by his work, by his grace. And I find myself, because of his great love for me, that there are actually days when I get to the end of the day and I go, I don't think I actually had a mean thought today. Wow! I don't think I actually cursed at anybody today. Even that idiot, oh, sorry, Father, that guy who cut me off in traffic, I didn't even say anything bad to him. You know? Uh, even when that person stepped on my sore foot, I said, bless you, even though I might have been, you know, thinking something else. Lord, I think I had a pretty good day. And even if I have a good day like that, I, my conclusion isn't, I'm pretty good. My conclusion is, God, you're good. And your mercies endure forever. Great is your faithfulness to me. Amen? You see, the reality is, not one single person in here will ever live a really good life trying to do it in your own strength. The only way you will live a good life is to do it in the love of the Father. It is to immerse your life into him as a co-heir with Jesus Christ and recognize that it only is possible as Jesus lives through me. That's it. It's the only way. We can't do it any other way. That's the gospel way. It's the way Paul was trying to move us toward. And, and I don't have time to deal with the objection, so I had a message called I object, and I never dealt with the objection yet. But I'll do that in a couple weeks because I won't be doing it next week either because Tony's here. And after a week after that's Easter, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. wow. How I wish we had another half hour. I'm going to have to start. We're going to have to start having a midweek just so we can get it in. But, but you know what? I think sufficient this morning is for you to gra grab that truth. If you can grab what I've just shared this morning, it changes everything in your life. If God has had that much grace toward me, how much grace should I have toward my wife? How much grace should I have toward my children? How much grace should I have toward the people that I work with the, or the, the person who cuts me off in traffic? or the, 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 you know, That happens to me a lot. Uh, or the, uh, it's probably because they never see this screaming bullet coming up the road beside them and then they just, you know, uh, they weren't checking the rearview mirror enough. Um, yeah, I'm that guy. Get out of my way, right? But, you know, if, if we can understand God's grace in this way, it literally changes our life. Understanding God's grace has freed me from thinking it's all about me and has established it on him. Secondly, it's freed me to not walk in guilt or in shame. When I do mess up, I realize it's already been paid for by Jesus Christ. And that there is, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Everybody say no condemnation. If you're in Christ, no condemnation. No condemnation. And so we understand that 
that, that, that there isn't any condemnation on me. I can live free from that. And, and what it causes me to want to do, this is what happens as you grow up. It causes me to want to honor that kind of sacrifice. It doesn't cause me to want to take advantage of it. It causes me to want to honor it. I don't sit there spending my days thinking, how much sin could I commit and still get away with it? <laughs> you know, it doesn't make me think like that. Instead, it does the opposite. It makes me go, Jesus, you've done so much for me. How could I possibly ever pay you back? I realize I can't. But what I can do is I will take that love for me and I will give it to everybody else that I meet in the same way you've given it to me. <laughs> See how that works? That sounds kind of scriptural, doesn't it? That's what Jesus wants from us. Let's stand together this morning. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Look at that. About 25 minutes and I'm good to go. Hallelujah. If I had another 25 minutes, oh. I want you to just put your hands out like this this morning to the Lord. Put your hands out to him. And, and, and I'm kind of stretch them out wide because this isn't a small receive. This is a big receive, right? Now, unless you think you got... You're so good, you, you don't need a lot, you only need a little, you can keep your hands together. But I think most of us recognize we need a lot, right? So we got our arms up, this is a, this is a big receive today. And if, and if you messed up this week, if you messed up, if you know you behaved in a way in which Jesus probably was not particularly proud, I, I want you to just look up to him right now, just look up to him. Say, there was, there was some times this week, Jesus, I'm sure you weren't really proud of, of me. And, uh, yeah, pretty much every day. And, Lord, look to him this morning right now and say, Father, I receive your grace. Father, I receive your grace. I receive your love for me. I receive forgiveness. I receive your empowerment, I receive your empowerment. to live, to live. Free, free from the sin, from the sin. That, would so that would so easily entangle me. I thank you today. I can live like this because of you, not because of me. Because of your love, not because of my love. It's because of you, not because of me. And I receive it today as a son, as a daughter. I receive it today as your child. I receive that love that is both powerful and vulnerable. I receive it today. I receive it today. And I determine today, I determine today not, to not to take advantage of that love, of that love. But, to but to immaturity live a life, live a life worthy, worthy of, that love. of that love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. <laughs> now, <clears throat> this week, what I want you to practice is every time you mess up, and some of you are saying, well, I won't mess up, trust me. Yes, you will. When you mess up, I want you to look in the mirror, put the hands out, whether it's at the end of the day or whatever, and say, Jesus, I receive your love. I receive your mercy. I receive your grace. And I, and I determine not to take advantage of that tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sherry, did you want to say something before we go? Just hold tight, folks, because when she speaks, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it is. <laughs> um, 
just the whole time he was speaking, I was thinking of, I don't know how many people are familiar with Brene Brown, and she is, um, she was a social worker who does, who's done in-depth studies on social behaviors, and she studied on shame and vulnerability, but in her studies, she discovered, uh, in this seven-year study she did, that people uh, she discovered that there were people that what she described them was as wholehearted people. And these wholehearted people were aware of their shortcomings, aware where they didn't measure up to what maybe society thought, but they felt worthy of both giving and receiving love. And what she also discovered was in most of these cases, if not all, the people had faith as one of their foundations where they realized that they were worthy in spite of their shortcomings. They were willing to be vulnerable and honest with other people about where their shortcomings were, tell their story. And it wasn't that they were in pro not in process of making changes where they needed to, but there was a security they had, a wholeheartedness they had as a result of it. In fact, her discovery so derailed her that she ended up needing to go into uh, intensive counseling for several years because she discovered that she herself was not a wholehearted person. And so as Kevin was talking, I just thought, man, that, that, that needs to be a representation of us, that we are wholehearted people, that because of God's grace, because of his vulnerability, that Yes, we're in the process of changing and needing to be changed, but we're able to be vulnerable ourselves, recognize our shortcomings, but yet we know because of his love, because of our position with him as sons and daughters, that we are worthy of both giving and receiving love. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, we just thank you today for your love for us, your great affection for us, that through Jesus we can be whole people. And Father, we just ask God today as we go out from this place that you would help us to be whole so that we have lots to give away to every person we meet. Father, and as we gather together next week and Dr. Tony slays in the house, wow, we come ready to receive from you. Father, we give glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go get your kids before they burn the place down. Have a great week. You might just should have just clarified she's, uh, that she's not a Christian. <laughs>